Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if some of you are here for the first time, there's a few people here for the first time, uh, you're jumping in the middle of our series in Proverbs, but this is a good transition point. And so uh, we spent quite a bit of time in the first nine chapters, the poems, and uh, the poems are the poems of a father and mother wanting to give instruction to young men before they send them out into the world, specifically Solomon, king of Israel, instructing his sons on what they need to be good kings. And so as we transition into the latter half of the book, t- chapter 10 and on, is what we think about when we, uh, when we think about Proverbs, these, these individual two-line verses that give either comparable or contrasting ideals. And so what we did in the last three weeks was coming up into Easter, we looked at the theme of, of kingship and how everything that Solomon wanted his sons to be as kings, we see perfectly in Christ. And we, we line that up with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The next week for Easter, we looked at how the resurrection gives us a lens with which to see the problem of sin. And the problem of sin is laid out all throughout Proverbs, that we are wicked and we cannot cleanse ourselves, that we need someone who is steadfast to stand in, a, in our place. And all that is required of us is to repent and believe and, and turn in mercy. And so that's where we've been so, so far. Um, and then last week, we looked at the prerequisite for understanding any of this book, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. You can't even begin to get to wisdom because you must get to knowledge first and you must have the fear of the Lord before that. So before anything else, um, that's why we, we went to the fear of the Lord first, because it is an affectionate reverence. Our love and adoration and awe before the Almighty God and our trust in Him is what is going to help us understand the rest of the book and how to put this in, into practice. So that's a bit of a recap and so what we're going to do for the next uh, three sermons in, in uh, Proverbs is we're going to look at the span of, of Proverbs through the two paths. And so this uh, we, we saw in the first nine chapters, the uh, path of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, the synonyms of path and walk and way, it describes life. Every one of us, in, in biblical terms, when we put one foot in front of the other, every day that we wake up, we are on a walk. And you are walking on one path or the other. And the way someone walks, the path someone chooses, is a reflection of the state of their heart. And so we're going to see that this morning and in the next couple of weeks. Um, but what is ultimately most important here, what the parents set before the son, there is one path that leads to life. That is why Lady Wisdom is such a beautiful and uh, poised and admirable woman. The other path leads to death. That is why Lady Folly is a seductress and adulteress and a liar. And so we're going to look at that, those contrasts this morning. And so before we get into that, I want to just talk about these two paths for a moment, and I want to help you see the purpose of the book. I've used this analogy the past few weeks, so I'm going to continue with it. The idea of the forest and the trees. Often when we read Proverbs, we read it as a series of trees. And so I'm going to focus on the bark on this one, the branches on, on, on this one. And it's helpful when you pull out an individual proverb and apply it to your life. But if you miss the forest, 
you're essentially just going to learn, uh, have moralism and self-improvement. And so my goal is to get you the, the purpose of the book. I want you to be familiar with the forest. Because once you know the forest, whether you know if it's a, a jungle or a swamp or northwestern woods, then knowing what type of forest you're in, that's how you can identify trees and, and, and find your way out. So we won't be able to identify every tree, meaning we're not going to touch on every verse, uh, nor should we. But I want to give you tools as if, you know, when you go out into the woods and, and you have a map, for those of you who remember what, what maps are, they're physical things that you held in your hand, and they help you get to someplace or get out of someplace. And a map will give you directions, but also has a little legend at the bottom. Here's what this means. Here's what this, record, here's what this represents. And so I want to give you a map and also a bit of a legend to help you understand what, those, what particular terms are. I want you to be able to identify the landmarks and navigate safely and be aware of your surroundings. So if you go in the woods um, or like any survival situation, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know where you came from. You have to know where you're going. Important things. You need to know where to find food, water, shelter. This is the word of God. It, it teaches us and helps us find food, nourishment, water, living life, and, 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 and shelter from the, the, the darkness and to avoid danger. And there's a lot of danger out there as we walk through life, and we walk through the, the Christian life especially, and so that's what we're going to be, uh, that's the approach we're going to take to Proverbs. And so as sojourners, exiles, as the Bible speaks of us, this is not our home, this is not our home country. We are traveling through woods. Sometimes it's sunny and bright, but often it is dark and it is scary. And so on our our path on our, our way until we reach our eternal home. Proverbs is a great book for instruction, but we must see it how it's directed. So um, this, probably the best literary example, is Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. This is exactly what we, we see. He passes all of these different people in all of these, these different places, and um, they all sound enticing. Some of them sound very similar, like, hey, maybe I should go over here, maybe I should go over here. And Christian often goes off the path. Every time, it does not turn out well for him. And so Christian is someone who is seeking the, the celestial city, uh, and he kind of stumbles and fumbles his way through until one important point. The important point is when he comes to a cross, and this burden, this heavy pack that he's been carrying around with him is finally loosened, and before the cross, he can, he, he can lay it down. And then his journey becomes more, more narrow. It becomes more, more focused because he's not dragging his, own, his old self along with him. The default path is the one with the burden, is the one with your sins. It is the path of folly. But the narrow one happens when through the fear of the Lord, we lay our sins down before the cross. And then we can walk and even run unhindered. And so uh, these two paths are defined and they're laid out by a lot of linking terms. So full disclosure here, initially I had planned on doing a sermon series on right or a sermon on righteousness, a sermon on wickedness, a sermon on, on uh, prudence, a sermon on foolishness. But I realized uh, as I prepared this week that these terms are so synonymous and they're, they're overlapping and they're even nuanced. So that's how we're going to condense them all and look at the, the two ways. So path number one, um, this is the path to life. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And those, here's, here's the uh, synonyms. 
wisdom, righteousness, and prudence. So these all are synonymous, but they're, they're complementary. Wisdom is a trait of the heart. Wisdom is an identity trait. Wisdom is something that becomes a part of you that you can utilize. Righteousness is that wisdom uh, it put in, it's, it's good conduct that comes out of a wise heart. So wisdom is taking knowledge and being able to, to apply it to situations. It's, it's an understanding. Righteousness is good moral behavior that, that comes out of that, that, that wisdom. And then prudence is wise behavior. It's taking the wisdom and, and, and putting it into practice in individual situations. So you've got a, a wise heart that leads to righteous action and prudent decisions. That's path number one. The synonyms here, uprightness, insight, understanding, integrity, blamelessness, you'll see a lot of these, especially in chapter 10. That's why we're only doing chapter 10 this morning. But what I want to help you do is as you read through the rest of Proverbs, and, and from now on, you can begin to see, okay, this is path number one. This is path number two. This is the path of life. This is the path of death. Path number two is the path of death. And it is the, the mirror opposite of path one. Path two is the fool. This also is a heart condition. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. To walk on path number one, the path of life, it must start with, I fear the Lord. There's a God, and I must love him and obey him. Step number one. To path number two, step number one is, there is no God. I will not obey him. I do not fear him, and I shake my fist at him. And so, the, so you've got the wise and the fool, and then you've got wickedness and righteousness. So wickedness is bad moral actions or evil actions that come out of this foolish heart. There's the prudent who takes his wisdom and applies it to situations, but the contrast is the scoffer. The scoffer doubles down in his foolishness. The scoffer makes fun of or, or mocks wisdom. The scoffer hates righteousness. The synonyms there, the evildoer, those who lack sense. Uh, earlier in Psalm 1, we, we read about the, um, the uh, sinner, the, 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 the wicked, and the scoffer. Those three are, are, are synonymous. So we're going to look at all these terms synonymously. But here's the other important thing. There is no third category. You're on one of two paths. It is inevitable. And so this is imploring the son. We saw this in chapter one. Oh, how simple one. Oh, oh, simple one. How long will you continue to be simple? Fear the Lord. Listen to my commandments and live. This is still the imploring voice of the father. Because as we talked about the past few weeks, when we are born, our default position is the path to death. In Adam, we are born into sin and into death. And only by being born again into Christ, which identifies the fear of the Lord we looked at last week. It's, it's, it's synonymous with saving faith. But only through Christ can we walk in the righteous path. But there's no third category. The world would want you to believe that all ways are the same and there's, and, and there's many other options, but there isn't. This idea of there only being two options is all throughout Scripture. 
from the garden to glory, there is only ever two options. In the garden, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree and you're going to live. Eat from that tree and die. All the way to glory. You will be in righteousness and you will have life forevermore with the living God. Or you will be with the beast and the demon or, or, and the uh, serpent and the prostitute and you will be in torment forever. There is only ever two paths from beginning to end. And this is no more uh, applied than in Jesus' teaching. So I want to look at a couple passages from Matthew. So this is not unique to Proverbs, and Jesus picks up on this. And Jesus begins his ministry, looking in Matthew chapter 7. You're probably familiar with this, it, it, we're familiar with this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7. Notice the two paths. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So notice first, which path is this? This is the second option. This is the path to death. It's wide. Everybody walks through this at some point. Most people walk through this. Why? Because it's easy. It's easy to do what I want to do. It's easy to walk in my own understanding. It's easy to walk trusting in myself. It's easy because we are sinful, because we're dead in our sins. It's easy to say, I don't need God. I've got this. That's the path of most. But it leads to destruction. 4, verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Here's the other thing that is helpful in Proverbs. It shows all kinds of human experiences and situations and reminds us and helps us that Christian life is not easy. Those who tell you it's, it's, it's going to be easy and those who lie to you and say that you're going to have your, your best life now, they are charlatans and liars. Jesus himself, if Jesus says it's going to be hard, trust him. But... It leads to life. That is what is most important. Because this is temporary. This is only for a time. And it leads to glory in life everlasting. These are your two options. The wide gate or the narrow gate. Don't think you can get in on a technicality or you can skirt around the gate. Jesus says anyone who does not go through the gate, who tries to jump over the wall, they're, they're a thief. And they're a robber. And they have no part in my fold. So here's what we are faced with. One more. Matthew chapter 12. I love this because uh, this is going to tie together all of the themes that we're going to see this morning. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 33. Again, notice only two options, only two types of trees. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. Good trees, bad trees. Speaking to the Pharisees here, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This will be important in the rest of our text in Proverbs. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember what I told you earlier, these two paths 
they are identified by a heart condition. And much, there's much about speech in Proverbs, and that flows from the heart. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will be given account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be judged, and by your words you'll be condemned. Think about that. That our words will find us out. What type of words are you known for? When people hear you speak, what do they think of? Because all of us, we make judgments about one another by the things that we say and things that we don't say. Jesus says what's going on in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. And that's going to be the proving ground for the condition of your heart. And that's what you're going to be judged on, justified or condemned. And there's only two ways. You're a good tree bearing good fruit. Are you a bad and evil tree, and you will be condemned? All right, so let's go back. That's setting up chapter 10 of Proverbs. So back in Proverbs, I'm actually going to read all of chapter 10. We're not going to cover all of chapter 10, but I want you to see the reason why we're doing chapter 10 and chapter 10 only, because it is chalk full of. It is the most condensed uh, application of these two paths in the entire book. Almost every verse deals with one of those attributes that that we talked about. Wisdom, righteousness, prudence, uh, foolishness, and wickedness, and scoffing. Uh, Almost every verse. So I want to read that, but I want you to pay attention to the use of good and evil, righteousness, wickedness. Notice how many times but is used as a contrast. Also notice how many times speech is referred to, just like Jesus just mentioned. Proverbs chapter 10, I'm going to read the entire chapter. The Proverbs of Solomon, the wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summers is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the, of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks, the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of a righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. 
The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked will be no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be moved, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you still our thoughts and our minds, and uh, we can read a long chapter like this, and it can be overwhelming, and everything can blend together. It's kind of the point. We want to see what glorifies you, what pleases you. You are a righteous God, full of all wisdom and prudence. And this is the the people that you desire for yourself. And in your perfection, you hate evildoers. You despise foolishness and wickedness. And the scoffers are going to come to ruin. Lord, I pray that this will teach and challenge and build up and encourage your people. That it may be humbling and convicting where needed. That we, but most importantly, as we look at this text, may we look to Christ. Because if we are in him, he puts us on this path. That our eyes may be fixed on him. That he keeps our feet secure that we may not stumble. And he preserves us to the end. And may we praise him that he has brought us from the path of death to life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. First line. The Proverbs of Solomon. This is to connect us to the first half of the book. If you remember the first line, chapter 1, verse 1. Proverbs of Solomon. King of, or son of David, king of Israel. And so this is what scholars call a Janus verse. It looks backward and forward. Now Janus was the Roman god of doorways, the Roman god of, of gateways. And so he was the one who helped you transition from one room to the next or one city to the next. And so uh, when biblical scholars use this, they are, they're not claiming Roman gods, but they're, they're using it as an imagery. When you'd see uh, Janus on a coin, he would have two faces, one facing either way. And this Janus verse draws the connection back to the first half. This is not a separate idea. Solomon, who wrote the poems, who's instructing his son, Solomon also wrote the Proverbs. And so there's a connection here. And chapter 10 is going to give us the, the, the springboard and taste of what we'll be going through over the next few weeks. And like I said, it's, it's packed full. So we're going to walk through this chronologically. We're going to pick a few. Uh, we're not going to cover them, them all. Um, and uh, there's no particular order. I'm with, I'm with Matthew Henry. He says it's, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to make sense of the order of the verses. 
So we're going to deal with them as they come up. It'll be easier for you to follow along in order. It'll be easier for me. And, um, and so we're going to do chapter 10. We're also going to cover, we're also going to break the rest of the book up into two more uh, sections. Uh, so next, next week will be chapters 11 through 15, um, and then 16 through 30 after that. So these, these two paths become more and more sparse as uh, the, the book goes on, but it's front-loaded really heavy. And so this, but the dichotomy of these two paths is the framework which everything else is going to fall under. And I'll make mention as we go about individual sermons we'll cover after this. All right, so uh, going back to our puzzle analogy from last week. To help you know where we're going this morning, so we're uh, putting all of these pieces together. There's a lot of verses in chapter 31, and we won't focus too much on any one piece. Uh, we're going to move quickly. I'll make brief comments as we go. But what's most importantly, most important, is that I want you to see the bigger picture. Because a lot of these verses are straightforward. You're going to read them and say, yes, I know what that means. It, it's, it's clear what it means. But they're painting a picture. They're painting a bigger picture. And this, this bigger picture is the path to wisdom and the path of righteousness in the fear of the Lord. And it's a life that is pleasing to God and is blessed by God, and it leads to a long life. That's what the Father is presenting here. And so hopefully, whenever you go back to Proverbs, you'll, you'll be able to have the map, the legend, so that when you're, when you're reading, okay, I see this is this path and this is this path, I see what he's doing. He's adding verse upon verse upon verse upon verse for different life situations so that you can identify, okay, this is what pleases God, this doesn't. This is what's going to lead to pleasing your parents, and this won't. And so that's where, that's where we'll begin, the second half of verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. This is the uh, thesis, really, for the rest of the book. Son, take the first option. Take the, the good instruction, and you'll make your, your father glad. Follow the path of the fool, and your mother's going to cry. No one wants to make their mother cry. That is the lesson of this book. Don't make your mother cry. Be a good boy. Amen. <laughs> All the mothers said amen. Uh, so before we go any further, Jesus is first, as he is in everything, with this. Look at, uh, Luke 2.52. It'll be up on the screen quickly. But this is interesting. As a young man, as a young boy, as in all things, he's truly human. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is how we can truly stand in our place. None of us have, have ever kept this. No one but Christ will ever will. None of us will ever perfectly be the good son. But thankfully, there was a good son. Thankfully, there was a righteous son. There was a prudent son. And as a man, he grew in this. He learned, and he exercised it perfectly so that he could go before us. And so he goes before us in wisdom. He goes before us in knowledge. He goes before us in obedience. And in that wisdom, knowledge, and obedience, he perfectly kept the law so that he could go before us to the cross. And so now his death, his burial, and his resurrection becomes the spiritual fulfillment of these two paths. Now, what Proverbs has in view is these two paths uh, playing out in front of our eyes. This is real life, day-to-day, -day, real people. Here's what, the, here's what the, the two paths look like from an earthly perspective. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 
Because Paul's going to tell us what the two paths look like from a spiritual perspective. And this is going to be the lens with which we see the rest of our passage. Uh, you may want to put a bookmark there because we're going to end there. That's going to be the last thing that we look at. But 1 Corinthians 1. We read part of this, uh, part of chapter 2 this morning. But I want you to notice the words. We're, we're covering wisdom and folly. We're covering life and death. Righteousness and wickedness. Look at all the same terms coming up here. Paul also presents two ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, uh, we're beginning, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Foolishness equals death. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, i.e. earthly wisdom. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. You think you're smart now, I'm going to make you a fool. I'm going to undermine whatever you've built up in your own, in, in your own strength. Now he is, he is kind of goading or, or, or he's, he's, he's prodding man who, or men who are trusting in earthly wisdom. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul puts at contrast here. What is wise to the world is foolish to God. You want to hear God laugh? Tell him how smart you are. But what is wise to God, the scoffers, the foolish, the wicked, they think is foolishness. Well, those Christians, they're just silly. Why would you do that? Why would you believe that? Why don't you sit here with a bunch of books open when you could be at the beach? It's just stupid. It's foolishness to the world. But God has made the foolish, um, has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice, wisdom and folly set right before you. Those who are perishing, it's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. But if your hope is in Christ, it is the power of God and there is nothing more powerful. That's what's before us. Foolishness or the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So as we look, we move quickly through the rest of these verses. Have this in mind. What is wise to God is set at odds with the world and vice versa. All right, back in chapter 10 of Proverbs. All right, wise son makes a glad father. Foolish son is sorrow to the mother. Verses 2 through 5 um, this shows you how the condition of your heart is going to be evident in your conduct. Wise sons are going to be prudent, but they're also going to be industrious. They're not going to be, they're not going to be lazy. Let's look at these examples quickly. Treasure is gained by wickedness. Uh, treasure, excuse me, treasure is gained by wickedness. Do not profit. But the righteous delivers from death. But righteousness, I can't read today, but righteousness delivers from death. Gain the world and forfeit your soul. We, we see this in the Gospels. You can gain all the treasures of the world you want, but it can't save you. 
Verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Uh, I want to lean in here for just a second. Because the lie of the world and the temptation of the other path is like, God won't care for you. God forgot about you. God can't provide for you. You've got to do it on your own. You've got to take matters into your own hands. This also we see in the teachings of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 12. It'll be on the screen. Uh, we'll cover this more in uh, Proverbs, but I love this. Uh, we can't hear this enough because we are anxious and fearful people. Luke 12, 22, and he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Amen. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Interesting as we're reading Solomon in all his wisdom, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are about to eat and what you're about to drink, nor be worried, For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows what you need. You can almost hear Jesus pleading with them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. So when we read verse 3 of Proverbs 10, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Find comfort in Luke 12. When you're worried about your bills, when you're worried about the clothes on your back, when you're worried about everything. We are worriers. God makes the grass more beautiful than Solomon, and you have so much more value than that. All right, I can't spend this much time on each verse, so we'll never get through. Um, Verse 4 and 5, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A righteous son is not lazy. We're going to do a whole sermon on, on, on laziness. Some of you need to hear this. Most of you don't, but we all need to hear it. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes risk. And here's an illustration, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The wise son is not a slacker. He is diligent. And in that culture, that is the worst thing possible to bring shame to your family. You do not want to be known for the guy who is sleeping when everyone else is trying to get food to provide for his family. All right, let's move on. Verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. You'll notice verse 11 is essentially identical. The mouth of righteousness, or the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of wisdom, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. These are parallels. Notice here that life and blessings are synonymous. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Those who God blesses, that is what it means to live. That's what it means to be alive. They saw righteousness merely as good moral conduct. And that's an outpouring of the heart. But we know that true righteousness 
What is better under Christ than under Adam? Under Adam, you only had hope to be kind of good. But under Christ, you've been given his righteousness as he takes on your sins. So in Christ, we know what righteousness is. It is the perfect one, the one who is perfectly wise and perfectly obedient, who gives us his righteousness so that we can stand in him. And so when we, when we read this, this takes on a greater meaning for us than it did for them. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. Amen to that. If you are in Christ, there is blessings on your head. It is a crown of glory that will never fade or never perish. And this righteousness is a fountain of life because it comes from the fountain of living water. So 6 and 11 are parallel here. But you also notice the power of the tongue. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. They're going to be condemned by their, their speech. Verse 11, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Again, we're going to do a whole sermon on speech. All right, let's go on. Verse 8. Again, I'm just going to kind of touch on these quickly, and then I want to get to some application. The wise of heart will receive commandments. That's a good thing. We don't think of commandments as a good thing. This is, this is a compliment. God gives commandments and instructions, guidelines to those he loves, to those he covenants with. Jesus tells us, they'll know you're my disciples if you keep my commandments. This is a good thing. God, you can tell if God doesn't love you that he requires nothing of you. I don't have commandments for you. I don't have a covenant for you. You're on your own. You don't want that. The wise of heart, this kind of peels it back a little bit. It, it shows us that there is a, a heart underneath these, these ways. The wise are humble. They receive instruction and they obey commandments. But the fool, he's arrogant. The babbling fool never stops talking. Here's a, here's a great way to identify a fool. Their favorite voice is their own. They love to hear themselves talk and they love to talk about themselves. And they never stop talking about themselves. They never stop talking long enough to listen. He won't listen, and he'll be undone by his own babbling. Here's a cultural disconnect that I want us to get. When we think of fools, the word fool, we think of someone who is stupid, who is ignorant, who is uneducated. Biblically, that's not a fool. Biblically, a fool is someone who is willfully ignorant, who suppresses the truth, who knows the truth and contradicts it who knows the truth and lashes out against it. They are not uneducated. They are willfully suppressing the truth. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 begin with, a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Step one to being a fool. I deny the truth. I deny general revelation and special revelation. You don't stumble into being foolish. You strike out in foolishness. You start your journey as a fool. Now remember, we, we began with this survival walk journey analogy. If you are wise and you're going on a journey, you bring food, you bring water, you bring a map, you bring supplies, you know I need to get there safely. So I'm paying attention to, to my surroundings. The fool, he's the one who's like, map, we don't know stinking map, I got this. Food, water, I can figure this out. I'm off on, on my own. I'm going into the wilderness. I don't need anyone or anything. I've got this. No water, no sense of direction, and thinks he'll make it out safely. That is a foolish son who brings shame to his mother. This is not Bear grills with, 
with a, a camera crew. That's not going to end well. You don't, you, don't, you don't come out of that. That's, that's the fool. Verses 9 and 10. Whoever walks, here's the path again, in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Here's the two ways, the straight and the crooked. This is the wisdom of man, crookedness. It cannot be straight because it denies God. The crooked path is all over the place because it is, it is shifting. There is nothing solid underneath it. But the straight path is what God provides. Now, straight does not mean easy. Straight means direct. The fastest uh, distance, or the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. It is the most direct. It is what's meant for us, but it doesn't mean it's easy. But it does mean that you won't waste your time going off on, on rabbit trails on one side or the other. It doesn't mean you waste your energy or get distracted. This is a race. This is a walk where you have a fixed point. You have a north star. You have a lighthouse. You have specifically your Savior, the wise one who has gone before you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is what type of walk this is. The writer of Hebrews says this, first two chapters, or first two, first two verses of the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone on the walk before us, before us, let us also lay aside every weight. Here's how you walk. Be like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Lay the weight down. Everything that would encumber you, everything that would hold you down, get rid of it. I die to myself and I take up my cross and follow him. Don't drag around all the stuff of your old self with you. The sin, the weight that clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is Christian maturity. Next week we're going to look at Christian maturity. That is Christian maturity. You're not walking, you are running. And you are, you are, you are thriving. And how do you do that? Looking to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to the one who kept it perfectly, who ran it at a perfect pace, and who ran it on your behalf. Why do we look to him? Because he found it joy. Set before him, enduring the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Because it was fun? No, for us. He endured the cross for his people. He ran this race, and, and despising the shame all the shame that was meant for us, because we're the foolish sons, he took it on him. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, meaning his work is done. His race has been run, and he bears the crown. And all who are in him will conquer, and they will bear the crown too. This is the type of walk we have. Because if you're in Christ, he's put you on the path, and he has completed it for you. And he says, look to me. Everything you need, I will supply you. Everything that you lack, I will add. This is how we run well. You know how you run poorly? If you're running like this, looking behind you, you're going to bump into stuff. You're going to bump into the person next to you. You know how you run poorly? You compare yourself to the person next to you. You take your eyes off of the prize. You take your eyes off of Christ. This is the one who walks in integrity. They walk securely. Why? Because every step is on solid ground. Because every step is on the rock of ages. That's how we walk securely. But the fool, the one who makes his ways crooked, will be found out. 
Verse 10, it's an illustration of the crooked path. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. They don't speak directly. They've got hidden codes going on. And the babbling fool will come to ruin. Same guy who's still running his mouth. He's going to run his mouth all the way to the grave. All right, verse 13 and 14. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But the rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin. Uh, Again, so much emphasis on speech here. Lips of him who has understanding. The rod of the back, uh, discipline for the one who lacks sense. The mouth of the fool brings near. Um, So... Your, your mouth has some consequences. I want to read 18 through 21, but just see how they, they're, they're kind of uh, application to or connection to verses 13 and 14. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. We'll spend a lot about silence in Proverbs. Uh, it's a very important principle. But whoever restrains his lip is, lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. This is what, this is what God values. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. All right, so you see all that picture of uh, speech. Verse 17, one of my favorites in here. Look at the, the parallelism. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Notice, wisdom, path to life, heeds instruction. The Fool rejects reproof and correction, leads others astray. You get the wise, heed instruction, live. Fool rejects correction, is on the path to death, and wants to take other people down, there, down with him. This is why church discipline is necessary. Because the person who is truly on the wrong path is not content to walk alone. They want to bring others with them. How do we know if someone's on the wrong path? How do we know if someone's a fool? They reject correction. Here's what happens in a church discipline situation. You're in, you're in sin. We know you're in sin. Repent and be reconciled to your God. Yes, I'm in sin. I need God's grace. Please help me. That is, a, that is how church discipline should work. That's a beautiful situation. Here's the one who's going to lead others astray. Yeah, I'm in sin, and I don't care, and what are you going to do about it? We've had that happen. Those people, you remove them from you. Discipline is a good thing. But those who refuse discipline, who refuse correction, they must be removed. The language of Deuteronomy, purge the evil from among you. Why? Because evil evil will multiply. They want other people to say, come with me, come down my path. And their wickedness, like verse 24, it will prosper for a time. What the wicked dreads, will eventually come upon him, but the desires of the righteous will be granted. When your heart is to the Lord, what's beautiful is that he shapes your desires. He teaches you what to desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your delight is in him. You will will no longer desire shallow things and temporary things. He'll give you the desires of your heart because your heart has been made new. Because he has turned it from stone to flesh. He has caused it to beat with the rhythm of his life. Have you noticed that the longer you're in Christ, your your desires change? I love talking to new Christians. They're like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't want the stuff I wanted last week. 
or, or, or last year. I don't like the things I used to like. God not only changes our hearts and our minds, but he changes our desires. How many of us over time have left things behind that we thought we would never be free of? <laughs> you didn't have to raise hands, but yes, we, we, we have. Amen. The desires of the righteous will be granted because he gives us good, good desires. Verse 25, not so with the wicked. When the tempest passes, the wicked will be no more. They won't stand in the day of judgment. But the righteous is established forever. They couldn't possibly know that there would be a righteous one who would stand in their place forever. But prophetically, Solomon knew. Solomon knew that there is, God will not let his righteous perish. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God will preserve them, and he does. Moving on, chapter, uh, verse 27 connects our sermon from last week. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Remember, we talked about the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament being synonymous with saving faith uh, lived out unto eternal life in the New Testament. That we define the fear of the Lord like Charles Bridges as affectionate reverence. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and I put no other before him. That is fearing the Lord. And so because of that, in this life, what is our, what is our only hope? I love 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. From last week, coming from Heidelberg, what is our only hope? The straight path is a path of hope and joy, that I am not my own that I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, my Savior, who went to the grave for me, who bore my sins, and who will preserve me to the end of the day. That is my hope, and that is my joy. What greater joy could there be? The hope of the righteous brings joy. We should be joyful people. I don't want this to be a legalistic sermon. Do this, do that, do this, do that. If you are on the right path, he puts you there. Rejoice in him. Rejoice that you stand in his righteousness. Rejoice that he went before you in all wisdom. Rejoice that he is patient and abounding in steadfast love. Amen. What greater joy could be, could there be, than our Savior justifies us, takes our sin and declares us righteous in his sight. He adopts us. What greater joy could there be to be invited to our Father's table and to be called sons of the living God? What greater joy could there be to know that Christ is our brother and no one can take us out of his hand? What greater joy could there be that he, than he sent his spirit to preserve us and carry us through the end of the race even when we stumble and we scuff our knees and we fall off the path and we, and we fail again and again and again? He preserves us. He carries us along. That's why this path is the joyful path because if you're on it, you cannot fail. Because the one who holds you will not fail. Amen. Verse 29, wrapping up here. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless. What an encouragement to what we just said. Why will we not fail? Why will we not fail? Because notice, the way of the Lord is a stronghold. By the very fact that you follow Christ and believe in him, that is our stronghold. We don't need armies, we don't need castles, we don't need kingdoms, we need Christ. His way, that is our strength. That is our stronghold. Stronghold. Verse 30, the righteous will never be removed. Last two verses, more about speech. 
But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What would we do with this? Last couple minutes here. What do we make of this in application? So we're not meant to cover all this today. Like I said, I'm going to breeze through there quickly. But homework. Read back through chapters 1 through 9. Look at these two, look at these two paths and what we've seen before and see how, see how, um, how uh, Solomon sets this up. Also, read ahead. Look at the, the uh, two paths that uh, are, are going to be coming in chapters 11 through 15, how we see all this in 11 through 15, and then really through the, the, the end of the book if you want. All right, so there's your homework. But just a couple things to kind of think about. I know that the cares of the world and the desires to fit in are very compelling. Wickedness is appealing. It's easy. Oh, I can just do this for a moment. What's a little bit going to hurt? What if I wander over here just a little bit? What's that other path look like? You can walk on the crooked path for a moment, but every one of us who've tried it, how does that turn out? And those of you who are walking on the crooked path, like, I don't see anything wrong with my life. I think I'm good. You're a fool. The world would want you to believe that there are many paths, that they're all valid. Just walk with me. That's the, the one who refuses correction. That's what they want. Walk with me. What could be the harm? The weather's great over here. But we know there is only one way, only one truth, only one life. And apart from Christ, there is only death. The writer of Proverbs is saying you can save so many heartaches and so many headaches along the way. Stay on the righteous path. Follow Christ. You deviate from that, and there's going to be consequences. Even if you are in him, you will be with him at the end of the day, but your days here are going to be miserable, and they're going to be long, and they're going to be hard because you're trying to walk apart from your Savior. You're trying to walk apart from your righteousness. This Christian walk is certainly not easy. Neither is it a sprint. But you know what it looks like? One foot in front of the other. Day after day, he's my strength, he's my hope, he's my righteousness, he's my security. In the fear of the Lord, on the straight path, my eyes are on him. He will keep your foot from stumbling and bring you safely through the woods to the room in his father's house that he's prepared for you. Uh, like I said, I want to end in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we'll prepare to approach the table. Listen to these words, still using the dichotomy of wisdom and, and foolishness. I'm going to use this as my closing prayer. For consider your call, uh, sorry, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Amen? Amen. Not many were powerful. Amen? Amen? Not many were of noble birth. Amen? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. Take a few moments, prepare your hearts and minds to approach the table. Deacons can bring the elements up.